Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing, we just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. All right, y'all. Well, here we are together again, hanging out in the morning with Morning Walk and Photo Talk with the Artist Forge. So glad to have y'all with us today. I hope your morning is already moving along swimmingly and that you are ready for our conversation. Today, we are going to be talking about another facet of dealing with confrontation. And that is this question that I will ask you now. Do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? The reason I think this is such an important question is because of some of the things that we talked about yesterday. The fact that we all have our internal biases, our belief systems that are constantly influencing how we approach any situation, not just confrontations. But there's more to it even than that. As social creatures, it is our natural inclination to look for tribe and then to make sure that we fit within that tribe. This is really important for us because in an evolutionary sense, it meant survival, right? The tribe of people that you surrounded with, surrounded yourself with were the key to your long-term survival. But that did not go away for us. That is still here. Now that we are living in huge communities, we have sort of divided up our tribes into smaller sections. We have our tribe, our fitness tribe, right? The folks that we go hang out with and get fit with and exercise together. And we have our art community tribe and we have maybe our political tribe. And so often what happens is that when we get into confrontations that push the dividing lines for those tribes, rather than actually consider first whether or not the opposing viewpoint could be valid or have valid aspects, we immediately will default to our tribal lines and start bringing up the things that protect and support the tribe's viewpoints because we are part of the tribe and also those things that we say become a rallying cry for our tribe to show up and support us, which then of course reinforces our own views. And we have this lovely cycle that happens where now we are right. We have proof that we're right because our tribe agrees with us. We have supported the tribe and now we all get to stand there together feeling wonderfully self-righteous <laughs> and, uh, we have eliminated the opposing viewpoint. So when that happens, it basically cuts us off from all ability to grow. It doesn't allow us to see whether or not there are any valid points to the opposing side. It doesn't allow us to critically examine our own views because if somebody shows up and immediately tells us we're right, we don't take the time to go, wait, is there a place here where my 
beliefs or my opinions actually don't come as close to the truth. We don't get to do that because that reinforcement shows up. We, we get the approbation. We feel good. Everybody agrees with us. Cool. We move on. We don't have to do any examining. And this can be true in multiple areas of our life. You see this happen in this political sphere all the time. The opposite side is evil. They're bad. There's no possible way that they could be good people who hold different viewpoints than ours. And there's no possible way that we could be more similar than we are different. That is the enemy right there. You see this happen um, in online forums for artists and photographers. We have dealt with a difficult client. They've come to us with this issue with our photography. We share it with our fellow photographers and they go, that client is crazy. What could they be thinking? These are beautiful. I can't believe that they would be so entitled as to say, et cetera, et cetera. We get that lovely hit of dopamine, that approbation, and we feel really good about going on our merry way, having proved that the opposition is wrong. The problem is none of this actually solves any of the issues that pop up. It continues a cycle of warfare between two sides until one side wins. Winning doesn't mean in this situation getting closer to the truth. It means one side defeats the other through main force and the other side can no longer continue fighting, at least for now, right? But they will be back. And winning can also mean I have proved to myself through my tribe and through browbeating somebody else into shutting up that I am right. And of course, if we take a moment to think about that, it becomes a problem because there is a difference between a disagreement and a discussion. There is a difference between a disagreement and a dialectic, which is looking to take two opposing viewpoints and find out where the truth lies. You have to be willing to do the self-examination, to not automatically assume that you are correct, correct, relying on your tribe to back you up. It takes putting aside your ego, as Matt talked about yesterday, and it takes you asking yourself, do I want to be right or do I want to be effective? What is my goal? We talked about that yesterday. What is my intention for this confrontation? How do I want this to end? Chances are the way that you get there is not by being right, by slam dunking on somebody, by rubbing their face in it. Chances are you get there by putting aside the ego points that you would get from a successfully defended position and ask yourself, what's the truth here? How do we actually get closer to that? How do I humanize the other person enough that they are no longer an enemy that must be defeated, but a partner that I can work with towards this goal? That is something that we're gonna talk about tomorrow, um, finding common ground. But for today, what I really wanna focus on is this idea that being effective, meaning getting the result that you want from the conflict or from the confrontation and being right are not always the same thing. Often they become mutually exclusive because the chances that you and I are absolutely 100% infallible and in the right every single time are practically zero, right? There is always something we have contributed to this 
confrontation or to this conflict. And if we can't recognize that, then what happens is we are going to end up in a series of these conflicts over and over again. And the only skill we're going to build is how to fight back. As Abraham Lincoln said, do I not defeat my enemy when I make him my friend? There's a lot of really important truth in that statement. Because when you look at a lot of the people who are engaging in public conflict, the purpose of those conflicts is not, hey, you know what? Here's something that's going on that I think is really, really deleterious. Here's how I think we can come together to make this not be a thing anymore. Instead, it is, here's why you're stupid. Here's why I'm right. Oh, right? Like everybody shows up and goes, God, they're such an idiot. And you're, what you're doing is you're, you're, be, you're becoming entertainment. You're not becoming an enlightening person. So this stretches all across the spectrum from our work to our interpersonal lives, to our social, public, political, et cetera lives. And it's a really important thing for us to think about today. So what I would love to hear from my panelists, my mods this morning is, what do y'all think is the difference between being right and being effective? And what are some things we might be able to look at when we have these confrontations that can help us turn our compass in the right direction? Because being right feels really good, but it doesn't always bring more people to our side. Often it alienates us and entrenches the other side in their own viewpoint. So I'd just love to hear from you guys and what you think. Yeah, I love this this conversation because I think it all starts, quite frankly, with empathy, right? And understanding, like we talked about a little bit yesterday with that cognitive hierarchy, that beliefs are beliefs, behaviors are easy to change, beliefs are very difficult to change. Um, and it all comes down to the value system that you have, right? So where empathy comes in is just putting that ego aside and understanding where that other person is coming from first, right? Rather than having that visceral reaction of, I need to prove myself right, or, you know, I need to be effective and I need to get to this point. Forget all that for a second. Just be understanding, be compassionate, be empathetic to what is actually happening in the conversation. And if you'll indulge me for about two minutes, I'll, I'll give you some background on a thing that comes up in my life quite often and how I handle it. So for me, I'm a staunch Second Amendment supporter. I'm not turning this into a political debate. I'm just putting that out there as fact. I spent a lot of time in the firearms world working as a photographer and participating in that community. I have very staunch beliefs in the Second Amendment and our rights. A lot of people do not share that view given the political climate that we're in. That's fine. What I found often is that because of my beliefs, I get lumped into a certain group or an archetype or a stereotype, whatever you call it. If I make a statement supporting something, I often get vilified for it. Totally understand that. comes with the territory. But what I do, rather than trying to prove that I'm right or demean someone or dehumanize what they believe, what I often try to do 
is have that conversation, broker the conversation, find the common ground, say, listen, I totally understand where you're coming from. Let's take a look at some of the facts dispassionately and talk this out. I'm not looking to change your opinion. I'm not looking to change your belief. I'm not looking for you to agree with me. And I'm not most likely not going to agree with you. But as conscious humans, as people that are sharing this same planet, we can have a discussion and understand that there are differing viewpoints without it becoming something that is uh, violent or dehumanizing or demeaning, right? And so oftentimes when I, when I start the conversation that way, the conflict is immediately de-escalated and we just stay focused on facts and we stay focused on, you know, what we believe without trying to prove the other right, uh, without trying to prove ourselves right and prove the other person wrong. So from an effectiveness standpoint, just approaching the conversation with a little bit of empathy, understanding that you don't know everything about what they believe and they don't know everything about what you believe, finding that common ground just by listening and being a little bit compassionate can really change the tenor of the entire conversation. So in my situation, it, it's a political flashpoint, so I deal with it quite a bit. In other confrontations, you can still use the same exact methods and techniques no matter what the situation is. I just use that one because it is so easy to understand. So with that, as I approach the conversation, I'm not looking to be right. I'm looking to learn, I'm looking to listen, and I'm learning to understand where they are so that we can find that common ground, that common uh, area where we both hold similar values and similar beliefs and use that as the baseline to start the rest of the conversation. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I think, you know, what's so beautiful about what you said is the fact that oftentimes what we tend to do, and this is not always, sometimes of course it, it can be, but this is not generally out of malice. It is our brain's way of compartmentalizing and, simple, and simplifying things because we like to put things in understandable boxes, which means when somebody disagrees with us, it's really easy to, care, to stereotype and categorize them in ways that make it easy to understand. And what often happens is that person's complex beliefs and personhood get simplified into a straw man that we can then easily attack. And we cease to recognize that as we do that to the other person, they are doing the same thing to us. And all of our complexities, our subtleties as humans, gets boiled down to some simple thing that often doesn't even represent entirely what we believe or what we think. It turns us into a caricature of something instead of a complex person. And the only way to move past that is to allow for it to happen. And what I mean by that is if you and I were having a disagreement and what I am attacking is not your complex belief system or even, you know, um, a person who is subtle and has very different sides to them. I am attacking something I have built in my own head that then becomes 
uh, an avatar of something instead of an actual person or idea that has, you know, wonderful parts and parts that I may not agree with. They're doing the same thing to us. In order for us to get past that, we have to recognize that we can be wrong and that if we desire for somebody to take us seriously and to look at our beliefs as the complex things that they are, we have to be willing to do the same thing to the other person. And often it takes the first person on the dance floor to start the party, right? We have to often be the one to step up and to step up with empathy, like you said, and recognizing this person as a whole human and not just a avatar for some belief system that we've simplified so that we can actually have a real conversation with a real person recognizing that the fact that you disagree, whether that is with the quality of what I've given you or my service, or whether that is with something political, um, you are still a real complex person, a human being. I don't, this is an example that's gonna seem really weird. My husband was watching Narcos um, and I had sat with him for a couple of episodes and it struck me again how strange human beings are because here you have what could very easily be classified as a horrible man. Um, you have Pablo Escobar who was responsible for murder and death and addiction on a staggering scale who also deeply loved his family, right? And it's not as if one cancels out the other. It's just a reminder that human beings are so complicated, guys. There is never a simple, if you believe this, you're bad, right? That, that, that for the most part does not exist. Very often it is a mishmash of all kinds of things and humans are actually capable of believing diametrically opposed things at the same time with no difficulty. We might not even recognize that there's any, any tension there. Um, it's an absolutely wild characteristic of our brains, but it's true. And so if we ever are going to be effective, we have to stop walking in to conflict or confrontation as if the opposing person is some automaton um, some walking system of simplified beliefs that we can just cut down. It is a it is a whole crazy, weird, complicated person who is both, you know, sublime and terrible at the same time. And all of us are. That's all of us. And if we can't recognize that about ourselves, how are we ever going to recognize it about anybody else? How are we ever going to end conflict well so that we don't continue to just battle each other after a million years, but we become allies towards something. And if we can't ever change our beliefs or our opinions or our viewpoints, how do we ever expect to rally people to a cause that's worthwhile? This is, sorry, I know I'm rambling. This is a, su a subject that really gets me going. Um, so yeah. all that long stuff just to say, I agree with you, man. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things in these confrontations, and I don't like to call them conflicts because I think a, a confrontation is different than a conflict. A confrontation is just, you know, um, two opposing forces looking at each other. A conflict is where, the, you know, the problem arises. I think with confrontations like this, where it starts to devolve is where people move off of the main point 
of the original confrontation or the original discussion and fall into logical fallacies or ad hominem attacks or, you know, straw man arguments or all those sorts of things. So, you know, understanding that those exist, understanding that there are ways in debate or conversation where people try to undermine your argument by redirection or, you know, getting off point or attacking you personally. Um, those are the things that indicate a weak position. And all it means is you need to keep bringing it back to the main point, right? If someone's complaining about your prices or they think your work is, is junk, right? Understand why they think the work is junk. Well, you didn't make me feel good. Okay. That's a different matter. We'll put that to the side for a second. Let's, Let's talk about the work itself, right? So if you can approach the conversation, like I said, dispassionately, you start to strip away all that other, and I'm throwing air quotes like everybody on Clubhouse can see them, um, strip away all that other human stuff and you really stay focused on what is the, the core of the problem at hand. And so with that, the only way that you can get there is to like I was mentioning yesterday, prepare for it a little bit, understand how these conversations work, understand what some of these fallacies look like so that you can just stay focused and focus on being effective rather than right. Because you'd be surprised. You may find some, a lot of information most of the time that you didn't know, and it might shed new light and give you more insight to your own beliefs. 100%. I agree. And also... I think just to piggyback on what you said before I pick on Becca, um, I also think it's really important to recognize, and Kat has mentioned this, and I know other folks has, have often mentioned this when we talk about customer service. There are times where what the person coming to you with, the problem that they have, actually doesn't have anything to do with what they're explaining to you. It has to do with something else. And for people who were not here, Kat talked about a time when she had a client, had an awesome session, they really loved their photos, they made some big purchases, really super happy. When they left, apparently the husband was not aware of how much or what the wife was spending. And so they had a really terrible argument. She came back and in her, her frustration and her emotional state, she basically started attacking Kat and saying, you know, hey, this is what's going on. You, you can't do this. This is too expensive. How could you charge people this much? Just taking all of the frustration she was feeling and projecting that. And in order to actually solve that problem, she needed to be able to know where it was coming from. There needed to be that level of empathy there so that she could say, okay, the question here is not actually my prices or the quality of the work. The question here is, whether you should have been more forthcoming with your spouse about what you were spending. Obviously, the ultimate solution is going to have something to do with the price, but the conflict itself has not arisen because of the price. It's arisen because of your spending habits and your ability to communicate. So oftentimes, just being open to the fact that we are complicated and that often the problem doesn't come always from the thing itself, but from the emotion related to the thing is a good, I think it's something good to remember. Whew. All right. Becca, would love to hear from you what thoughts you have around this idea of the tension between being right 
and being effective when it comes to confrontations? Oof. I mean, there's there's so many different kinds of potential confrontation and conflict that it's. I feel like there there are times where one or the other is best. Like I definitely think, still think, as I said yesterday, sometimes there's times I do not give a shit, and uh, in certain situations, you know, that might be the most effective option. Um, you know, it really comes down to what the specifics of a certain conflict really are and again like we talked about yesterday you know what is the intention of resolving that conflict um now yesterday for instance when i when i said you know there's times where i'm totally okay being the aggressor in a conflict right like i'm thinking of situations of like maybe i'm out of the bar with my friends and you know there's a guy who is not taking no for an answer and he's being touchy and he's being you know pushy like i am a hundred percent comfortable with telling him to go f off and being the aggressor in that sort of conflict. And I don't want any sense of empathy. I don't want to know why he thinks that behavior is okay. I want him to leave, in which case being aggressive is the most effective you know, form of confrontation for me in that situation. But that's, of course, again, not every situation. Um, however, generally like having a calm and dispassionate conversation in things like the workplace or, you know, even with people who are important to you, your friends, your family, you know, whoever that may be, uh, in the, you know, with the purpose of learning and with resolving the conflict and finding a sense of compromise obviously is going to be more effective in certain situations. Um, but I do think you can bring a level of passion to that, if you will, um, even in, you know, say dealing with a client or customer, whoever that may be, I mean, it shows that you care and, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be about being right, but showing that you do have an emotional investment in finding a solution and you do have an emotional investment in, you know, the information that's being exchanged. So it doesn't, being passionate, I think doesn't necessarily have to mean you're focused on being right, even though it can be that in some situations. Um, but, uh, Again, yeah, I got to agree with everything that's been said already about, you know, when you really are focused on resolving a conflict and making that enemy your friend, you know, having a sense of empathy um, is so, so, so important. But you can still be excited about that. I mean, learning new things is exciting. Solving a problem in your business is exciting. And, you know, I think it's it's great to share that with people because then they know you actually do care. I love that, Becca. And, you know, I think what you say about passion absolutely holds true. A lot of it comes down to what's your own self-confidence in your own position like, right? For example, your bar, your bar example, absolutely be passionate, be aggressive. That's, that's survival. That's primal. That's awesome. Um, in the workplace and those types of conversations, a lot of times people argue just because they feel an emotion about it rather than feeling confident in their position or their knowledge. Right. And this is why you see some debates go sideways very quickly is because one person really knows their stuff versus one person that kind of learned it from memes. Right. And, you know, I would never try to get into a debate with David Parrish about psychology because, you know, I read the cartoons and he reads actual research. Right. I would never try to prove him wrong on a, on a subject like that. I think having an understanding of where you stand in a core understanding of your beliefs and what you feel about a position um, based on fact gives you the ability to be passionate 
and really try to be effective and more likely than not wind up being right. Um, but understanding that if you have that lack of self-confidence, you don't really have anything more beyond one or two sentences, then that confrontation most likely will not go your way. Um, but having that passion, having that self-assuredness, that self-confidence really does help, especially when it comes to the business. You created that business the way that you wanted to make it. So you should have every right to defend it and explain it in any way that you see fit. So, yeah, I think uh, that that passion is a huge component of this. Just understand where that passion is coming from. Ooh, I love this. And as always, um, Becca showing up with that, you know, subtle texture. And I think you're absolutely right that so much of these conversations will, will come down to environment and circumstances, right? And there are certainly times when there's this in conversations, I have um, some family members who are pacifists. And I think it's a really interesting, I think it's a really interesting position to hold and one that I've explored a lot in trying to understand the nuance of, of what that looks like at its extremes. Because I think sometimes the test of an idea doesn't always come in the middle where we all live. For the most part, sometimes it comes when it's kind of pushed to the breaking point. And so in having those conversations with her about what she believes, um, I'm looking at, well, if the worst case scenario happens, how does your belief system respond? And often we're not gonna be in the worst case scenario, but there's this really interesting usage of the word um, that I wanna, I wanna get to in a second, so I hope I don't forget it, but um, recognizing that situationally, we're going to show up differently, right? If somebody is threatening um, our friend or a family member or us or whatever, the level of passion that shows up for that situation is going to be completely different than the level of passion that shows up in a situation where we're trying to help somebody understand why our prices are so high or why a certain, you know, file why they cannot have certain things or whatever it is. Um, the level of passion is going to be different. And you have to ask yourself, where do I need to fall here in order to be effective at communicating what I'm trying to say? For a dangerous situation, obviously, a high level of passion is gonna be a whole lot more convincing than just being factual. But on the other hand, when you're working with somebody maybe potentially a client, if you come into that situation, um, the danger with passion is always, which is why we have terms like crime of passion, which means your emotions have gotten the better of your sense. And that's where we have to be careful. And there's this really great, um, there's this really great line in the book, Emma by Jane Austen, in which Mr. Knightley is talking about his difficulties with the main character, and he wants to go talk to his brother about them. And he says, because he has a disinterested love for Emma. And when I first read that, I thought, that's not love. Love can't be disinterested. Like, what a shitty thing to say. You're always interested in the things you love. I misunderstood the usage of the word at that time. Disinterested in that usage meant 
has not invested in, so does not have a stake in the outcome, meaning the same thing as if you invested in a company, right? He could love Emma without having a vested interest in her behavior, how she turned out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which means he does not need to show up to defend her in order to protect his interest. And in a situation like this, I think disinterested is a really great term to consider when it comes to conflicts that we have that do require us to control our level of passion because we might be really serious about the fact that our clients cannot have raw files. In fact, we may fight with other photographers on the internet about it all the time and defend our positions. When it comes to our clients, if we show up that way, not only is that going to be an unhelpful level of passion, right? But it's definitely going to make somebody feel like we are showing up to cut their heads off when what would have been more effective and what would have sufficed in that situation is just some disinterested things. That doesn't mean we don't have any enthusiasm, right? Or that we don't care, but we do have to consider, particularly for those of us who are passionate people, we do have to consider how we show up in those situations because I like to argue. <laughs> I have to control that about myself because I will even find myself taking positions that I don't believe just for the joy of having that back and forth repartee where we're just, you know, going at each other and thinking up new things. Not in any mean way, but I just really enjoy that energy. So I have to control <laughs> how I show up at those times and put myself in the role of educator and not necessarily of defender of what my interests are. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think so. Um, okay. So with that, Nicole, it's, I don't know, we're 40 minutes into this. How did we, how did we get 40 minutes into this already? It's flying by. I, that's me blabbering is what it is. No, it's not. No, yeah. it's not. But I see we have a ton of people down below. Yes. So I think if anybody has any conversation that they, or any points that they want to add to the conversation about confrontation, about what we're talking about, about being effective, about being right, um, and all the shades of gray in between that, if you have something that you'd like to add to the conversation, just go ahead and raise your hand. We'll bring you on up and uh, we'll continue the conversation. Yep. I, I would love to hear from folks today. I know that there's going to be some great thoughts and advice down there. And um, yeah, I, I just find this whole topic really interesting purely because of the fact that there are so many subtleties and that there are so many differences, like Becca was saying, of how you show up in what circumstance and what thing becomes more effective. Because certainly sometimes logic is more effective and other times passion becomes more effective. I mean, I'm sure we've probably all heard somebody give a really great speech um, that is delivered, you know, with passion and enthusiasm. And all of a sudden we find ourselves pulled along by that, even if we don't necessarily know if we agreed with the person or not, but man, it's really, really hard to deny passion and enthusiasm. And in those circumstances, that thing might win the day. And it's interesting do you think that that may come back, guys, to how well you are able to read the person you're talking to, their their responses, their body language, all of that, so you can judge, okay, when, I'm, when I get into these kinds of topics, this person seems to shut down, um, as opposed to when I approach it this way, 
they seem to show up and respond better. Maybe there's something there to being able to read what's happening as you're conversating. There's um, I'd have to dig up the the study, but I, I mean, it's been researched uh, that highly intelligent people take that explanation as you will um, are often less effective leaders, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of this comes down, I mean, to to emotional intelligence, right? That that idea of you know being able to read people and connect with them, um, even one of those very highly intelligent you know, icons in history. I think as Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, then you can't really explain it or something to that degree, right? Um, and, and you see this this difference in, you know, people who really, really know a topic inside and out and are, you know, again, very, very passionate about this topic, you know, on a personal level, aren't always going to be able to communicate that in a way that's effective to other people. So again, you've got to look at what what is the purpose of the communication that you're having and you know how well can you actually connect and explain that and some people aren't very good at that some people aren't very socially adept um and you know it's it's a it's a process and it's something you have to really really learn and often something that we're taught from a very young age and some people grow up better at it than others um so yeah i mean there, there definitely can be a difference there um, particularly in, you know, roles like leadership, or you'd be giving a speech, or, you know, teaching a class, or whatever it is that you might be wanting to do. Um, in some cases, though, I don't think it's necessarily a problem if this is something that you're not especially good at to find someone who is. And you see this in businesses, and particularly in the arts, right, where often artists don't know how to best sell themselves or communicate with people, so they hire someone to do it for them, someone who is good at those particular skills, like a PR person, you know, and Sometimes that's just a step we have to take to have someone to manage those kind of conflicts and manage that communication. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why customer service professionals exist, right? Becca, can I hire you to come to Thanksgiving dinner with me? Because <laughs> I, would. I think this conversation, <laughs> I think it's going to get me out of a heap of trouble. I tell you that much. Um, I think this conversation actually comes at a good time of the year, right? So we're all kind of prepping to to go back to to families or you know be around our extended families for Thanksgiving, um, and inevitably there is going to be some conversation that sends you sideways, right? So maybe maybe we don't do another day on this. Maybe we do another two and a half weeks and just get everybody <laughs> prepped for the the post trip to fan debates that are going to happen, um, but. Yeah, I mean, think of it in in that type of context, right? And what you were saying earlier, Nicole, I think familiarity with someone really does um, factor into the conversation, but it doesn't necessarily change the techniques, right? So I think if you know that your mom is going to um, be passionate about what placemats to use and it really doesn't matter to use and and it runs into this big debate about (laughs) what you feel about decorations and holidays and you know it's just a hallmark construct in this reality right and it it goes sideways from hey that's a lovely placemat to I don't believe in Valentine's Day Um, (laughs) I I think you know if you can understand where your own emotions are coming from and, and your familiarity with this person and how to push their buttons and know how to you know, that is all factoring in. And I think you can't discount that familiarity when you get into some of these conversations. But just understand that a lot of times that familiarity isn't even a factor because you're 
engaging with people that you don't have that past history with. You don't have that insight to. So it speaks to, all right, how much of uh, yourself are you in control of? And do you have the skills and the techniques? And you do have to build them and learn them to have effective conversations. Um, do you have those skills and techniques to address it no matter who it is? And that is, for me, the core of a lot of what I try to get across to folks is this isn't something that you can just turn on or turn off. It really does take some self-exploration. It does take some learning. It does take some um, some some motivation on your part to learn how to not fall into some of the conversational traps that we all fall into from time to time. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also, it's really important to point out, you know, piggybacking on what you said and then pulling in what Becca said, um, emotional intelligence is something that you can build. Some people will walk into the situation with a high level of emotional intelligence. Um, I am one of those people by necessity. <laughs> I've talked about that before. Um, I'm one of those people by necessity. So if I'm in a conversation, in a group conversation, and this has happened, where everybody, it's a, a bunch of artistic people, there's high energy going because we're all passionate and it feels really, really good, right? Because all of us are, are bouncing ideas off one another and we're inspiring each other and like exciting things are happening. But there's one person who is constantly being talked over, not because everybody is being rude, because everybody's excited and cutting in on one another and that's part of the energy. But this person does not function well that way. And I was watching them become more and more dejected as the conversation was going on. You could tell by the body language, by the response to being cut off, if somebody happened to do that, it wasn't like, oh yeah, yeah, that, you know, I see what you're saying. It was, God, is anybody gonna let me speak? Like the, you can watch the eyes roll, you can watch the lips spin, you can watch somebody's body language get closed off. You can hear sighs through the nose. Like there's all of these um, physical, signs to what somebody is feeling and when we're having a serious conversation with somebody if we're in that place of if we're in that place of confrontation um, we can train ourselves to begin watching for some of these telltale signs that let us know whether or not somebody is responding well to how we're showing up and if they are showing closed off body language, if they're turning sideways, if they're fidgeting, et cetera, et cetera, there's all of these things we can look for that let us know this person is not comfortable. Um, we can pay attention to those things and try to adjust our delivery in order to match what that person or where that person needs to be in order to actually accept things from you. And often, um, which I know, you know, Kat has talked about as well, but often, We'll build the foundation for that through our earlier, um, and, and I'm thinking particularly about clients here, through our earlier engagements with that person. So if we've already showed them that we have a deep knowledge and we've already showed them they can trust us and we've purposefully begun to build a rapport, then if a conflict or a confrontation does happen, then we already have some baseline for what communicating with that person looks like. They have a little bit more trust that they can place in us and we can start to pay more attention to 
well, I know when Sharon is uncomfortable, she drops her head a lot or whatever. And I know that this is all, it sounds like I'm asking you to do a lot of front brain stuff. And if you're not familiar with really paying attention to body language, facial expression, tone, and that kind of stuff, then this definitely is gonna be a front brain exercise for you. This is gonna be something that you need to practice. Watching movies is a great way to do this. Becca has mentioned that before. Um, watching movies is a great way to do this, to learn to read physical and tonal emotional cues. But you can build your emotional intelligence so that even with folks you don't know, you have a much better chance of altering your delivery in a way that they're going to be more able to receive it. So just something to think about. And maybe that's a great way for us to start to bring this conversation to a close today is to start looking at some of the practical things we can do that put us in a better position to be able to do that. But before that, I wanna make sure Erica has a chance to share her thoughts. Hello, Miss Lady, welcome up. Hello, can you hear me okay? I'm in my car. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Um, so agree with so much, in fact, all of what has been said today. And I just wanted to kind of tie into what some people have said in regards to um, managing conflict and, and in fact, even engaging conflict. I think um, I, I refuse to engage in conflict on social media. And the reason, uh, there are several, but one is what you were just talking about. You, you cannot gauge that emotional intelligence. You can't tell what the other person is doing or feeling. And um, so you're already at a disadvantage as, as they are as well. And, and also, um, chances are, if you're in, engaging in conflict on social media, you, you know, that other person really doesn't care about you. So when Becca was talking about if she's in a bar and she's, you know, she doesn't care to have a relationship with that guy who's being a jerk, you know, she doesn't mind being a little more aggressive. And I think that's the case online because a lot of times you just don't know that other person very well and you don't care. You don't care what their response is. So, um, or they don't care. So I just feel that, um, if I'm going to engage in conflict, I'd prefer it to be at minimum over the phone, if not in person, just to make sure that you have all the cards on the table. You know, that's a, a really great point, Erica. And there are certainly going to be, you know, there's going to be times when we get to pick and choose um, our ability to have these conversations. And certainly, although it can be done, it's so much more difficult. It's so much more difficult to have these conversations through text or email, in part because of the fact that you don't have a way to gauge what somebody else's critical reading skills are. So you can be wording things as carefully as possible. If that person is already spun up, they may be taking things through their own filters and not necessarily how you intended them, which of course becomes much easier when somebody can see your face or hear your tone of voice. Um, and I think in our conversation tomorrow, when we talk about finding common ground, I think that that is gonna become a really helpful tool for us um, when we're actually looking at the practical side of how we solve these confrontations because that is a much harder thing to do in places like online forums 
Um, I have rarely, it has happened, but I have rarely seen somebody pull someone to their side and help them see an issue from a new point of view. And every time I have seen it happen, it was always with somebody that was really patient and was able to continue to engage with somebody when other people had given up, you know, had said, no, walking away, um, which that is a really, really hard emotional skill to master because it's incredibly frustrating. And most of us do not want to waste the calories <laughs> trying to continue to engage like that. So yeah, it's, it's certainly much more fraught with danger um, in those spaces than, than when we can hear somebody's voice or see their face. So I absolutely agree with you. Um, Want to make sure anybody else in the audience, if y'all have anything to add, we're coming towards the end of our hour. So please don't be afraid to raise your hand because this kind of conversation can really aid other people because confrontation is inevitable, right? We're going to have conflict with people sometimes and the more equipped, the better equipped we are to deal with that in a way that's effective, the better off we're all going to be. So um, please don't be afraid to raise your hand and come up if you have some thoughts or some suggestions. So what I want to ask from you guys now is what do you think are some practical things that we can do to help ourselves focus on how to be effective in a given situation, not just how to defend our side, if that's the proper response. Like Becca said, sometimes the defense is just the proper response and that's the end of it. Um, but, you know, of course there's whole loads of subtlety in there given the circumstances. And I will share one thing that we might be able to do given that there is not immediate danger involved, right? Um, is just think, take a minute to think. Don't immediately respond when somebody says something to you or asks you a question. Give yourself a breathing space think for a minute about how you want to respond and don't just respond immediately. And I've seen this, that one of the most intelligent human beings I've ever heard speak, his name is Daniel Schmachtenberger. Um, and he basically is one of those people who, if you listen to them, they will make you feel dumb, no matter how intelligent you are. Um, but one of the things I really appreciate is the thoughtfulness of his responses and one of the ways that is communicated is by the fact that when he is asked a question, he never just jumps into an answer. He stops for a moment and he thinks about what is the question, what he's going to say. Sometimes it's, there's evil, evil, I speak well. Sometimes there are several seconds of silence before he responds. And it's not because, you know, he wants to make the other person sweat. It's because he really is thinking about what he needs to say. And for many of us, particular um, particularly in situations where there's confrontation, we need to take a second and think about what they said, what they meant, and how we're going to respond. And um, it is okay even for you to say, you know what, you have a really important point. Give me a second. I want to make sure that I respond to this in the best way I can. That way, you're not leaving the other person hanging as well. But yeah, so that would be my first piece of practical advice. Take a step back, give yourself a minute. Think about how you're going to respond. Don't just pop off with the first thing that comes to your head. Just to add to that real quick before uh, Jean comes up, um, in one of the, the How to Give a TED Talk books I read, um, they actually talked about this specifically. So even in the situation where you aren't necessarily having a dialogue, um, the 
the author talked about how necessary it can be to pause while speaking. And um, this can be, you know, very nerve wracking to people um, when you're giving a presentation or talking and um, needing to take a chance to collect your thoughts. But it does add value and it shows your audience or whoever you're speaking to that um, you want to give them the most concise and well thought out information. So just even if it isn't necessarily a back and forth listening kind of conflict or a discussion, um, taking that time shows people again that you are considering and being thoughtful in what you have to say. Ooh, yeah, that's a great point. And, and just to also make sure there's a difference between taking a pause to collect your thought and a pregnant pause. A pregnant pause is to create tension. That's where you don't give somebody the actual end of the sentence for a moment just to make them wait on it. It's that anticipatory moment. That is a different thing if you're trying, you're trying to make somebody feel like you're being thoughtful. Um, consider whether you use those pregnant pauses because they will create tension. That's a different thing from what Becca is talking about. Jean. Oh, we're only getting broken bits and pieces of you, my friend. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm driving through Northern Virginia and the cell phone coverage is better in Baghdad. Can you hear me? Can you hear yep, me now? We got, we got you now. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> nope. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> it's definitely coming in and out. Let me give you a minute, Gene. Um, Maybe we'll, in, in a couple seconds, you'll get into a better spot. Let's have Wynn share his thoughts and then we'll come back to you and hopefully you're in a better service area. Wynn, would love to hear from you. Sorry, sorry, it took me a few minutes to acknowledge. I was, I'm in the middle of mounting prints right now, so uh, I'm uh, doing 12 things at once with my hands. Um, way back when I first started in this business, I learned a very valuable lesson about confrontation from a great man in our industry. His name was Len Sandler. Lenny owned Luster Color back in the 70s and early 80s. And he was um, a pioneer in the color lab industry. And I watched him with very big interest because I was his customer services manager. I watched his conflict resolution technique and it was pretty simple. If there was a conflict, if a client was unhappy, he would instantly say, I understand that you're unhappy. Our job is to make you happy. What can we do to make this right? And almost without fail, what they required of us was far less than we were willing to do. And uh, um, I have used that technique throughout my career as a photographer to negotiate my way out of uncomfortable situations, simply saying, I understand you're unhappy. My job is to make you happy. What can I do to make you happy? And uh, putting the ball right back in their court, um, almost without fail, what they have asked me to do to make them happy is far less than I was willing to do to make them happy. 
and uh, Lenny, I, I, I am constantly reminded of how important that was to me throughout my career. And so for Mr. Sandler, thank you. And for the rest of you, I'm done. Yeah, that's fantastic, Wynn. And um, I remember you talking about that before and thinking to myself, that's so right on when it comes to, um, you know, when push comes to shove, how far would you be willing to go to make sure this client walks away happy? And also it brings up um, Bassam's notion of non-negotiables as well, which I'm, I would be super interested. Um, I wish he was here today so we could get a little bit of that tension between how far we're willing to go plus what our non-negotiables are, um, you know, when it comes to deciding how to, how to come to a resolution with, with customers like that. So I, I really love that thought. Um, Gene, let's see if you are in a, a better service spot. What a crazy deal. It's just amazing. There we go. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah, we gotcha. Okay, sorry. I'm driving through Northern Virginia, and it's just incredible to me that we can't get good service around here. But I, I, I wanted to make two quick points. One, I thought it was funny, um, and I, I connected pretty well with your comments about um, people cutting each other off. Um, you know, I, I, I find this to be a weakness that I didn't realize I had until I got out of the military because I think – in the military, particularly in senior realms of government where I was working on the, the E-ring of the Pentagon, um, you know, we engage in what I guess I always call active conversation, but I've found that now that's mainly just an excuse for not having the uh, patience to sit through a conversation when you already know kind of where it's going. Um, I've had to throttled this a great deal with my poor wife who has had to endure this uh, and reminds me often that I, I need to let her finish her sentence. And I just remember, uh, if we have any West Wing fans here, you might remember that uh, one of the things that was uh, unique about that show is that the script was about, uh, about three times the size of a normal script for a TV show because the dialogue was overlapping each other so much. And that's just sort of what we do in, in the senior levels of government. And maybe that's why we don't get much done. But I thought it was interesting, you know, that you brought it up. And it's something that definitely Clubhouse has really helped uh, me develop better habits when it comes to listening and being patient. Not just because I need to listen. You know, I, I still feel like I kind of know where someone's going, but that doesn't mean that person doesn't deserve to go there. And I've had to really kind of retrain my brain to, to think that because we don't, we don't give each other that space in the military. The, the last point I want to make is that a lot of the things that we talked about today um, I find very interesting, and I just wanted to reinforce much of it with, the, uh, with a reminder that the, the idea of um, you know, getting to know somebody and knowing where they're coming from, knowing uh, a little bit, you know, enough about them to, uh, to, to feel and understand you know, their position on things, and also to Erica's point about uh, the importance of, uh, of eliminating, you know, the, the anonymity from conflict. So instead of, you know, letting a conflict play out over social media where you don't really have to stand there and defend yourself physically, 
uh, forcing yourself to do this stuff face to face changes the dynamic completely. So my point with all that is that um, something that came up recently in the news was this thing with General uh, Miley, which was really ridiculous that he was having conversations with his Chinese counterpart. So many of you might remember or know, I've talked about it before, that one of my jobs uh, before I got out of the military was working for the chief of staff of the Army, uh, which was actually General Miley's last job. And my job as his um, comm chief was to set up calls like that with his counterpart around the world. So General Casey had a personal relationship with, for example, General Kayani, who was the chief of staff of the Pakistan Army, all these different generals from all the different uh, armies around the world. And the point of all that is that it is much less likely that nations will engage in conflict with each other when those nations' leaders have personal relationships. And it's important to develop those personal relationships um, in order to avoid that level of conflict or to avoid conflict going so far that you can't dial back. And so that's one of the reasons why they do it. And it's, it's, it's not well understood. I remember many times uh, when uh, General County would invite uh, General Casey to play golf in Islamabad, and I would have to find a way to sneak the golf clubs onto the Gulf Stream because, God forbid, the press get a picture of us putting golf clubs on the Gulf Stream. You know, like General Casey's going off on the, on the nation's dime to play golf. Well, you know, yeah, he is, and I'm not afraid to admit it, and he's doing it because that's how we avoid conflict that can annihilate our nation. And I know that sounds fantastic and, and ridiculous, but that's really where we are on the world stage, and there should be a lot more of that going on. And uh, and so I just, you know, I, I'm used to dealing with conflict kind of on the global scale and, 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 and at the national level. Um, and these are some things, techniques that I've seen, you know, national leaders do that I think it's fascinating to hear you guys, you know, play out and, and talk about uh, and, and how they apply in so many different situations, you know, individually, um, you know, in business and in and, and, uh, national security. So I just thought I'd bring that up and uh, I'm done. Thank you. Yeah, Gene, I mean, as we as we begin to close up, I think that that's a really important practical thing for us to remember. And I know I, I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but having the having the example, particularly on such a huge scale with so much at stake, I think really drives the point home that one of the most important things we can do to emphasize and to, you know, have effective solutions that don't result in both sides walking away harmed is making sure that we humanize the other side. And, and along with that also comes making sure that we don't dismiss people out of hand. If somebody, a client says to you that they're not happy with a product, in your mind, you cannot think to yourself, well, they're crazy. These are the best albums on the market. I don't know how they could think that. Um, you really have to it's you basically what you don't want to do is straw man the other person's argument even to yourself the best thing you can do is actually stone man the other person's argument meaning take it as seriously make it as strong as possible so that when you're responding to it not only are you responding to the strongest version of what they have to say one that you have to take seriously but also you're showing them that you are not blowing them off, that you are really doing the due consideration to understand where they're coming from. And if you take the trouble to do that, then what happens is you humanize that person even to yourself. 
And the worst thing that we can do if our goal is not all out warfare with somebody, the worst thing that we can do is to dehumanize them. And that's why Erica mentioned the difficulty of online settings. That's what Jean is talking about when we um, are making sure to build these relationships so we continue to humanize one another. As soon as you dehumanize someone, it becomes very easy to resort to more and more violent solutions because now you don't care if the solution means I wipe you off the face of the earth because who cares? That's not a real person to you, right? Um, we have to maintain that empathy. We have to do our best to build those connections. And hopefully what our goal is when it comes to these long-term solutions and being effective is to have to never have this kind of conflict with that person again, right? Like if they can change that behavior or if they can see things from this viewpoint, then we don't have to step into this conflict again. This does not have to become another battle. And the same needs to be true for us. We have to be willing to recognize that we may not always be right, that our views should be able to change with new information. And if we can do that, then we're also saving them from the potential that we're going to show up in the wrong next time. Because maybe there's one client who's willing to do battle with you long enough for you to recognize that your approach with your clients on this particular issue has been wrong up until now. And you needed somebody to help you see that so that you could change the way that you deal with your clients. Um, so we have to be as willing to take those criticisms and to, to stone man somebody else's argument as we hope they would be to do the same for us. So a lot of really fantastic conversation today, guys. I want to ask my mods if we have any final thoughts before we start to close the room down. Not for me. I think everything's been covered fantastically today. Becca, anything from you? Mm, no. I'll save it for tomorrow. Yeah, no, nothing for me right now. All right. All right, y'all. So today, as we talked about the difference between being right and being effective, how that can change depending on, you know, the situation that we're in and what our intentions are, as we talked about yesterday, let's look at a couple of practical things. So when we're dealing with confrontation, we need to make sure that we've accounted for our own beliefs and biases, recognize that those are going to bias us in a conversation, particularly in a conflict, and that we have to be aware of that. Make sure that we look at the other person as a person, a full, complete, complex person, that we are not turning them into a stereotype because it makes that person easier to attack or defend against. Make sure that we're taking some time to answer somebody, that we don't just respond with the first thing that pops into our head, but we actually give it serious thought. Make sure that we have an intention for that confrontation. How do I want this to end? What is the ideal resolution here? Is the ideal resolution, this client and I are not a good fit, therefore the ideal resolution is for them to find a new photographer? Or is it, 
this client is a, has been amazing in all other respects. I want to keep them as a client. I want their opinion of me to remain high so that they tell their friends, how can I then achieve that end result despite the fact that we're having a confrontation right now? Make sure that you are looking at what the ideal solution or the ideal resolution is so that you can tailor your response to work toward that. You can work on your emotional intelligence, your EQ, um, so that it's easier for you to make sure that your your replies, your responses are actually hitting home. And do your best to make sure that the basis of these conflicts, if you can, of these confrontations, um, already have a level of familiarity so that you are humanizing one another and they cannot in all good conscience attack you in a way that we can't walk away from and you can't do the same to them um, walking into that with empathy, respect for the other person and not making the assumption that because they are coming to you with a problem or a disagreement, they are a bad person. Um, be really, really careful about that. So those are just some practical things so far that we can look at when we are forced to engage in a conflict with somebody. Tomorrow, we'll also talk about, um, we'll talk a little bit more about humanizing people, but we'll also talk about finding common ground, how we can take somebody who was on the opposite side and bring us to the same system. So not the same system, but to the the same standing point so that we can look at the problem together and solve it as a team rather than, you know, attack it as enemies. And then, you know, we will make sure that we just kind of cover those things um, together tomorrow and, and moving toward the end of the week. Next week, we're actually going to be taking a little bit of a new approach. We've been working as moderators and as a team on how we can continue to give you guys great content to keep everybody engaged. And we recognize that lately, as we've been doing kind of a whole lot of teaching, there's been a little bit less engagement overall. So we're going to start taking Mondays and bringing it back to the way that this room initially started, where it's going to be a lot of casual conversation. We want to hear from you guys what's been going on in you, in your lives. If you've had any experiences or thoughts that are, you know, interesting and worth having a conversation about and let that begin to drive the direction of some of the content for future weeks. Um, you know, so Monday conversations that then roll into additional uh, interesting content that we can talk about as the week progresses. And hopefully that'll maintain some of the, you know, the comfort that we have with one another in these conversations that we've been missing where we are, we're all getting to chat with each other. So Lots of cool things in the works. Um, I'll be able to share those more as they come up. Um, but the mods and I are working on them. We will be going live. Oh, Becca, go ahead. Uh, just just on that tangent, if I may, um, just because I know some people, you know, they're in their cars or they're at work or whatever. Um, I mean, is it safe to say, like, if anyone wants to, you know, has a specific question or a struggle or something or whatever they're going with and they can't talk, um, Facebook group might be great for that. Like Matt did that last week with the his interest in social media. And I think that worked out pretty well by you know starting that in Facebook. So just throwing that out there, if that's all right. Yeah, of course it's all right. Um, and, and I absolutely agree. So if you have something, you're at work and you're not able to talk, go make that Facebook post. That might become the topic of conversation. So um, encourage you to do that. And then also 
Um, we will be going live on Thursday. So that'll be going live on YouTube and also in the Facebook group. Um, we can share that all over the place, but we will be doing that again. We are going to be talking about some of the things we've already chatted about over the last couple of weeks. We also will have a section where we do a critique or um, a review of some of the imagery that is being shared in the Facebook group. So if having um, a critique of your image live by the members of the Artist Forge uh, is something that would be of interest to you, um, don't be afraid to share your work in the group and maybe we'll be able to chat about it during our live stream and continue on in our long-term um, visual literacy goals. So yeah, lots of great stuff coming up. Hope we will see you in the Facebook group. The link is up there at the top and that we will be able to have you come and join us for the live streams. There's always really great stuff coming out of those and that we will see you again tomorrow morning, bright and early at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, actually Mountain Daylight Time now, I guess. Um, that is 6 a.m. for the East West Coast. I don't know where I'm at now. 6 a.m. for the West Coast and 9 a.m. for the East Coast. Afternoon for our friends overseas. And in the meantime, go make something amazing. See you tomorrow morning, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at the Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.